Well, good morning, Mosaic family. Man, it's good to be with you guys. My name's Joel. I'm one of the pastors here, and it has just been so much fun uh, to be diving into God's Word uh, week after week as we join one another and stand shoulder to shoulder, worshiping Him and uh, encountering who He is uh, through our time together as a church body. Uh, if you've been with us for a while, you know that we are in First Timothy together. Uh, if you're new with us for the first time, welcome. We're so glad that you're here. Uh, first Timothy has been just an incredible journey uh, together. It's one of the most uh, intensely practical letters that the Apostle Paul uh, wrote. Uh, this particular letter, unlike many of his other letters, uh, was not written to the church at large as much as to an individual who was a young pastor, a protege of Paul's, uh, who was pastoring the church in Ephesus. And so First Timothy gives us a glimpse into this uh, church that is formed, it has been planted, it has been established for quite some time, uh, and some issues were starting to crop up in the church. And uh, as a young pastor, I'm sure Timothy was kind of thinking to himself, this is a lot to deal with. Uh, and so as Paul wrote this letter uh, to Timothy, uh, I'm sure it would have been incredibly helpful to him, but it's been amazing to see that 2,000 years later, it is incredibly helpful to us as well. Amen. Isn't it beautiful that the Word of God is alive and it's active, that 2,000 years of time and culture and history has not removed its effectiveness in our lives because the Word of God is living and active, that it was inspired by the Holy Spirit, uh, and, and it is impacting us today. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. Uh, it cuts us where we need to be cut. Uh, it forms us in the ways that we need to be formed as God turns our hearts of stones into uh, hearts of flesh. And uh, how beautiful is that that we get together? So uh, here we are. Uh, we're getting close to being finished with First Timothy, which is crazy. Uh, next week, we will wrap up First Timothy together. And so uh, we're, we're getting ready. We're kind of like, you know, approaching the runway. Uh, the, the wheels are out. They're not quite on the ground yet, but we're getting close together. So it's going to be a lot of fun uh, today as we jump in uh, to our time. You know, as Paul has written to Timothy, uh, just to give some of the context of what uh, this letter uh, was written within so that we can understand why some of the things that Paul addresses, he addresses in this letter, uh, it's going to be helpful for us who have been a part of the journey thus far. It's going to be helpful for us uh, uh, who are new to this letter, at least in this context together, um, that Paul has been kind of embedding this whole letter to Timothy in this one really big idea. And for those of you who have been with us for a while, I think you're going to remember it, right? But Paul writes to Timothy, he says that the aim of our charge is love. That everything that, that is written in this letter, everything about the Christian life, walking with Jesus, pursuing after him, doing that in fellowship of community, uh, loving our neighbors, loving those who uh, don't yet know Jesus. That's the aim of our charge. That's the calling on our lives. Uh, when Jesus came and lived and died and resurrected for our salvation, the reason why he didn't take us immediately to heaven is because we have a mission here on this earth. And that mission is to love our neighbors as ourselves. That mission is to demonstrate the, the good news of who Jesus is everywhere we go. We say at Mosaic that we demonstrate our passion for God and his passion for, okay, let's try that again. So we demonstrate our passion for God and his passion for people. That, that's what we do here at Mosaic because that is the mission that we've been given. And what Paul says to Timothy, that's the aim of our charge. What God has called us to is to love. 
And so everything that is written in this is really with that undergirding, that foundation, that idea that our calling as followers of Jesus is to love with every opportunity that we have, with our time, our energy, our resources, that is our calling. And as he's walked us through uh, this letter, as he is instructing Timothy to instruct the church, he's telling Timothy, teach and urge these things. Teach sound doctrine. Teach the, the truth of who God is and what he's called us to. Why? Because if we don't know who our God is, then we won't be able to love people the way that he's calling us to love people. That, that we won't be able to live this life the way that he's calling us to live. And so uh, Paul says to Timothy, teach and urge these things. Be faithful to the gospel. Fight the good fight of faith. Don't stop. Keep pursuing after Jesus. Keep pursuing the depths of the riches of the knowledge of him and, and show others the way. And so Paul is calling Timothy into this to call the church in Ephesus into this. And what's happening in Ephesus at this time is that there's some other teachers that are there. And what they're, what they're doing, as far as we can tell from the context of the letter, what these false teachers are doing is that they're trying to distract people within Ephesus, within the church in Ephesus, particularly those who have wealth and means. They're trying to distract those people with speculations and and, and uh, an overemphasis on certain parts of Scripture that really don't connect as much to the big storyline of the gospel, the storyline of the Bible, which is one beautiful story. I love the way the Bible Project puts this, that the whole Bible is one big story that leads to Jesus, right? Uh, and so, you know, it's easy for me to know the answer because I've got it written on the back wall there. But it's one big storyline that leads to Jesus, and Paul is writing to Timothy saying, teach and urge these things. Don't let anyone get distracted by these things. And there were these distractions that were taking place from this false, false teaching that was going on. And, and it was uh, inviting people to put their attention and focus on things that are not connected to the gospel. And isn't that the world that we live in, right? I mean, every single day, you know, you walk into whether it's Target or Walmart or any kind of store like that, if you've if you've forgotten what those are because you go to Amazon every time, uh, you know, when you walk through, there's this kind of like seasonal uh, distraction that every store gives us, right? Right now, they're kind of repping Valentine's Day, right? You go into Publix and there's like chocolates galore, right? Uh, that, that They're constantly dangling things in front of us to grab our attention, to grab our focus, to grab our affections, to grab uh, the things that we don't yet have but could have if we only just bought their thing, right? That there's this, this calling into the more, and we've been talking about that as Renault and Brady have been unpacking this letter with us together, that there's this temptation that we have in this culture to pursue after the more. And Paul speaks to that by saying this. He says, uh, godliness with contentment is gain. Godliness with contentment is gain. And our culture tries to produce everything in us every single day to produce discontentment so that we will buy their product. And Paul is saying that, that when we realize the secret, as he writes to the Philippians, of being content, right? That, that we can live this life in and through Jesus, that he is more than any distraction we can see, that there's power in that. And so if godliness with contentment is great gain, you might think that next what he's going to do is rebuke those who have more. Say, hey, if, if we should be content, we shouldn't have more possessions. That's if, if the more is the issue, if the more is the problem, 
the more itself, if that's the distraction, you would think that Paul would say is, hey, then everybody should have less. But that's actually not what he does here. He does something a little bit different than that. And I think so much more hopeful and so much more beautiful than that. And so I want us to grab our Bibles and let's go there together. First Timothy chapter six, verses 17 through 19. So Paul has said that godliness with contentment is great gain. And then he does address those who have more next. 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting in verse 17, Paul says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good. They are to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. What a beautiful passage, and we're going to dig into this passage together. But before we do, I think one of the, the, the mistakes that many of us could make in this space is to kind of allow our eyes to gloss over, you know, to just let the sugar of the donut kick in, you know, and pass into a coma uh, together, because we might think that, that this passage is pointed at someone else, right? Someone other than us, to the rich in this life, right? As for the rich in this present age, most of us, many of us might sit in this space and say, well, this sermon is for someone else. This text is for someone else. This passage is for someone else. Because when I look in the mirror, I don't look at, at, at the mirror and say, that person is rich, right? And the truth is, many of us really do struggle to make ends meet. We struggle uh, paycheck to paycheck. That, that's true for many of us in this place. But as Brady pointed out weeks and weeks ago, as we were walking through that passage of godliness plus contentment equals gain, he rightly pointed out that in our cultural context, even those of us who struggle, if you look at the, the population of the earth, and then you even look back at the population of the earth like throughout history, we're among the wealthiest people that's ever lived on this planet, right? And so it's important for us to recognize that indeed this, this text, even if we're not uh, with the more in our cultural setting or cultural context, that there's probably something that, that we can get out of this text together, right? My daughter's in preschool, and uh, she keeps coming home and telling us about her friends and the things that she does with her friends. And this one friend she keeps telling us about, she, she keeps calling her Yamaka. And so I'm curious about this. I think to myself, is it possible there's a child named Yamaka in your class? I want to know more. So my wife and I had a parent-teacher conference uh, with, uh, our, our, for our preschool child, which seems absurd, right? Um, and, and we asked, you know, who are some of the names in the, in the class? And, and we asked about, you know, is there a girl named Yamaka by any chance? And we found out what her actual name is. And as you can imagine, it was not, not Yamaka, right? And I could only think about Yamaka every day as Haddon's coming up to her. He's like, hey, Yamaka. And she's thinking, who are you talking to, right? And, and lest we find ourselves in a position today that think of this passage as that God is speaking to Yamaka and not to us, let's actually dig our heels in a little bit and recognize that, hey, in one way, shape, or form, 
whether you look at, uh, you know, historically, whether you look at uh, the rest of the world, even for those of us who struggle to make ends meet, at, at some level, we are part of a culture, and at least corporately, we can admit this as a church, right? That we are the rich in this present age. And, and then let's enter this passage and ask God, okay, what are you going to teach us through that? So we did something unique this time around with this particular passage. Uh, and we actually filmed a video uh, with our lead pastor, Renault, uh, and a guy named Zach who's been a part of Mosaic for a long time. And it's a great conversation, particular to this passage uh, that we filmed and we put it up on video. And so I want to actually invite you uh, to focus in on this. It's about 15 minutes long. It's a great conversation specific to the reality of this passage. And remember, as you do, uh, this passage is talking probably to all of us. All right, let's do it. Let's watch this together. Well, hey, everyone. I am here with Zach Fulmer, and uh, he has been a part of Mosaic with his family for quite some time now and uh, is a great friend and have enjoyed kind of journeying with him. And uh, we're just having a brief conversation because specifically of where Zach has found himself um, over this uh, last number of years and what God has called him into. So, Zach, would you just tell us what is it that you do and why uh, do you uh, love doing that? And why does that matter so much to you? Yeah, so, I mean, the background is, Renaud, I grew up as the son of a finance professor, and when I was 12 or 13 years old, was reading the Wall Street Journal, and, you know, got my first mutual fund for Christmas when I was 12 or 13, so just kind of developed this love for, for personal finance. Um, never thought I would actually work in that space, but through a story that only God could orchestrate, I found myself working in wealth management. And specifically, um, uh, once I started to step into that world, I realized that the Bible has so much to say about money and possessions. And so 20 or 30 years ago, I actually just started reading through God's word like a lot of people in our, in our church family. And I pick up on themes when I read through God's word. And one thing that just kept showing up over and over and over is how um, mindful God is about his instruction to us about how we use worldly wealth. Yeah. And um, processing through that, just had the opportunity to go through several Bible studies and just really kind of camped out on that for the bulk of the last 20 years. And it's just a place that I love. And so I came to first Timothy six, 17 through 19 and God just spoke straight to my heart. He said, this is really what I want your life calling to be about. Mm. And you know, it's a verse that starts with instruct the rich and then just carries out with a beautiful picture of, I think that it just encompasses a lot of what biblical finance truly is. And so you were grateful enough to kind of hear my heart on that and we've had a friendship and yeah. so I just was thrilled when our church started going through first Timothy I said I can't wait till the day that we get <laughs> to chapter six and, and here we night are turn. That was, here we are yeah awesome well it's been a joy to um, watch and experience some of your passion for uh, not only your own personal journey of stewarding the resources God has given you and your family for uh, good works and being rich in good works but also helping so many others then begin to think about that. So as as we now, um, as a congregation, kind of sit in this space of God saying, man, if, if you have the more, uh, if, you, if, if, if you have stuff, man, make sure that you become rich in good works because it's this incredible calling to the opportunity for the more to be a real blessing to uh, God's kingdom expanding on this planet. But yet uh, we know, and you know for sure, that there are some obstacles uh, in, I'm sure, every culture, but specifically in ours, that hold us back from feeling like we can step into 
a greater generosity and a greater investment in good works because we, you know, uh, here's what we have. What are some of those obstacles you've found in your line of work and even personally that you're like, man, we need to be aware of these and, and get past these because then that frees us up to actually engage in this amazing thing we're called into. Yeah, it's a it's a strange word, this word rich, mm. isn't it? It's an idea. comfortable word in our culture. It is. And uh, I want to be really careful that whatever we say today is just particularly sensitive to our brothers and sisters in our community and in our church family that genuinely don't have a lot. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But when you come into this passage, you have to acknowledge that this passage is written to those that were rich. Yeah, so the Bible is acknowledging that some people have more than others. Yeah, right? Yeah. And in our culture, politics, culture, it just spins up this class warfare and that just kind of nights emotions within all of us. Uh, but that's not what God does, yeah. right? He is the authority structure. If you look at First Chronicles 29, 11 through 12, he says, everything in the heavens and earth is yours, O Lord. Hmm. And this is your kingdom. Yeah. We have yeah. glory as being in control of everything. Riches and honor come from you alone and you are the ruler of all mankind. Your hand controls power and might and it's at your discretion that men are made great and given strength. So God just absolutely blows up this notion of you did something to be rich, right? Yeah. He blows that up and he says, wait, 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 wait. Yeah. No, no, that was me. Yeah. I'm the one that gave you the opportunity. I'm the one that gave you health. I'm the one that gave you relationships. I'm the one that gave you whatever it is. I'm the one that gave you riches. And stewardship then becomes not so much the opportunity to grow my wealth. It becomes the opportunity to use my wealth for mm -hmm. God's purposes. That's the defini definition of stewardship, yeah. in my opinion using God-given resources for God-given purposes. And so to answer your question, <laughs> long-winded answer to your question, but I think uh, it's hard for a lot of us to look at that passage and believe that maybe it's directed to us. Yeah, because right? it says rich. Because it says rich. And, yeah. and we're caught up in this cycle of, I mean, Brady spoke to it beautifully a few weeks ago of contentment, right? Yep. And he, he actually called out the statistic that says that um, I think most people in our church family, just by nature of the fact that they live in suburban, yep. a big city in suburban America, which is, I think, the richest country in the history of the world, just by notion of that fact, that maybe this passage is speaking to us, yep. right? Yep. And so you kind of have to look at that and you have to digest that and you have to say, is this passage speaking to me? And that's just, that is the first dating thing to say, wow, maybe this passage is speaking to me. And if it is, then what did I do to warrant these riches? The paradigm is that God owns it all, yeah. right? And that's the gating paradigm for, 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 for looking at finances in a healthy way at all, yeah. biblically. And once you acknowledge that, then it becomes, how do I use it for his purposes, to his glory, to receive the freedom that he intended yeah. me to receive with money? Because most people don't feel free with their money. It really doesn't matter how much you have. It's not a function if you have a lot or a little. Paul spoke to it in Philippians, right? He says, I've learned to be content whether I'm rich or whether I'm poor. He said, I've learned to be content. And that's an amazing statement yeah. in and of itself because most people aren't able to raise their hand and say, I feel freedom that Christ intended with my finance. Yep. So, yep. so that's maybe the first paradigm you have yep. to get through. It's the first obstacle is just acknowledging that maybe I have more than I need. Yeah, and maybe it's not that I have millions more than I need. Yeah. Maybe this I have a little bit. Yeah, and kind of use that, and that even rich uh, to redefine rich to say I acknowledge that in my culture I might not be at the top. I, I might uh, be somewhere near the bottom even, and so the expenses and things make it very complicated. But I also should look and say, 
what if this passage is including me and I need to at least begin the journey of saying, uh, I don't get to say, this passage is for other people. And then once I'm there, then there is a set of obstacles I need to begin to look at that are more practical to say, okay, so my mindset is right now, what does it take to begin to do things like get rid of the debt that's holding me back or make more available or shift stewardship around or discern what I need to and should spend on, et cetera? Yeah, so if, if God owns everything, then in essence, every decision I make with money is going to have an implication on my relationship with him. Yeah, sure. So to your point, if you think about it, there's only five things you can do with money. You have income. And from that income, there's only five things you can do. You can repay your debts, you can pay your taxes, you can save it, you can live off of it, and you can give it. Okay? There you go. And it's a simple paradigm, but it's profound in its application. And most people have not actually sat down to kind of plan how much is going into each of those buckets. Does that make sense? But God speaks to each one of those catapult glories, is which is amazing to me. He speaks to taxes, he speaks to debt, he speaks to lifestyle, he speaks to giving, and he speaks to saving. And so if you can just take a moment and actually write down on paper, here's my income, here's how much is going to each, then you start to formulate a plan. And when you start to formulate a plan, then you have a written paradigm to think through. The taxes is kind of formulaic. Debt, you, you know, Bible says pay back what you owe. Um, so that can be pretty easily calculated. Then you start going, okay, I have these other three buckets, the saving, the giving, and the lifestyle. And you've narrowed your choices down to, how do I allocate between those three buckets? Right, and it it um, it starts to break down the impediments to giving because you're starting to formulate a plan. So that's one impediment to giving. Before that is really, um, I go back to to um, Corinthians, the love chapter that we recite a lot. Yeah, you know, in marriages, yeah, love is patient, love is kind. Yeah. Just before that, Paul says, "If I surrender my body to the flames, and give everything I have to the poor, but I don't have love, yeah, it means nothing." Yeah, right. Yeah, and so it starts. The more you understand compassion for another individual, the more you understand that maybe God resourced me to be able to use those resources to care for another's needs, then maybe I get, um, I see giving not as an obligation to pay a bill, but I see giving as an opportunity to bless somebody else. And the question becomes not how much do I have to do, but how much can I do? And maybe I start allocating more dollars from lifestyle to giving or more dollars from saving to giving. Yep. And it starts to free that. And once you kind of get the bug, then it gets it a blessing. Yes, then it, it grows. grows. And, and what a wonderful thing that, that Paul established this letter with, with this reality, that the aim of every charge we make in this letter is love. And so even this charge of, man, be rich in good works with the riches you have, the aim is love. And you've just said, man, if that's our aim and we can reorder to that as an as a opportunity for generosity, then we begin to get this bug to say, how can I make more of my resources I have available to be more active in generosity and rich in good works because I am growing in love more. And that, once you have that, that bug, that becomes quite a journey. I know you've experienced that, Brooke and I have experienced that. And so if, if I'm sitting out there right now and I'm saying, gosh, that sounds like something I want to become caught up in, what are some of the things you found you do or the people that you guide uh, do that are some of the ways that they begin to say, I find ways to make more of my resources available for generosity because generosity has just become like this exciting adventure. What are some of those things? Like I want to get started. Where do I start? Yeah. So the best place to get started is 
Literally to wake up and pray for God to break your heart mm. for somebody that has a need. And then just open your eyes to how he answers that prayer. Because he will answer that prayer. Yeah. Right? But you can correct me on this. Biblically, I believe there's, or I've found, I should say, four places that God is clear in where he ordains us to give. Uh, the first would be clearly for the expansion of the gospel. Yep. 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 Right? Then he, he commands us to give to those that teach us. Galatians 6.6 6 says, give to those that teach. Yep. Right? Give to your church. Give to your little yep. church. Give through your little church. Then he says to give to the widows and the orphans, yep. which, by the way, I love how much our church focuses on orphan cares, and thank you for your leadership. And then clearly to give to the poor, because yep. God has such a heart yep. for the poor. Yep. Right? Yep. So when you when you understand that um, I think a healthy giving plan is allocating resources in all those directions mm -hmm. because you want to see God's truth and abundance and blessing and joy come when you're looking yep. in all those directions. Then yep. generosity is not... It's not just for the affluent, right? Again, in our culture, we want to say generosity is the million-dollar gift or yeah. the six-figure gift or the five-figure gift or whatever. But the beauty of God's Word is, is He made generosity available to everybody. Yeah. I'll, the person I can't wait to meet the most in heaven was that widow that gave her yep. two cents yep. to yep. whatever it was, two shekels, yep. two coins, stuff. Right? Because she was the one that Jesus looked at, and He said, look at how much she gave. Yeah. Right? Which was just yeah. beautiful. He, she's the one He commented on how much she gave. That's right. And I love the way you put that. God has made generosity available to all of us. That is such a beautiful statement. There's no one here, no matter what our resources are, that generosity isn't available That's to right. us. And if generosity is one of the ways we fight toward godliness and contentment and one of the gifts we have to be participants in the gospel, then we all have the chance to be an in, uh, included in generosity. It's now just a matter of knowing what that means for each of us. What a joy. Yeah, generosity is the antidote to materialism. It's the antidote to discontentment. Um, and it's not a function of how much you have. We serve a God of fishes and loaves, right? He'll take what we're able to bring to the table and he'll multiply it over and over and over. You've seen it yep. a million times and so have I. And it just doesn't get old. It doesn't get old. That's for sure. That's awesome. Well, uh, what a joy for us to begin as a congregation, as a people to say, Timothy, uh, uh, this letter lays out for us, man, if you have more, engage in uh, a richness of good works and steward this in a manner toward God and out of compassion for the people he's compassionate for and discover in that the beauty of uh, godliness and contentment. What, a, what an adventure awaits. And now we begin to put into practice the things that will get us there. Thank you so much for taking the time to share some of your passion and knowledge and look forward to hearing more of it. I love that. Kimberly and I are thrilled to be a part of the Mosaic family and uh, a, a church that is in and of itself generous. Uh, grateful for the leadership of this church and grateful that when you stand on that stage every morning, you look out and see J-E-S-U-S. -S, yep. We know that he's the head of our church. And so anything we can do to, to help our church family uh, become financially healthy and generous, this exciting conversations to have. I love it. And they are indeed exciting. Hey, thanks, Zach. Appreciate you. Well, feel like I can close in prayer. You know, I mean, really, when you think back through that conversation, the themes that uh, Timothy uh, is hearing from Paul in this passage, they're all there, right? They're all there. It's to recognize that every opportunity that we have, whether it's a financial opportunity, whether it's our time or our talent, that every opportunity we have in this life is an opportunity to live for God's glory. Amen? That, that we all have uh, uh, time or talent or 
financial resources to bring to the table and to, to utilize for the kingdom of God in such a way that it will glorify Jesus and bring others to him. And that's incredible. One of the things they said is that nobody is ex- excluded from this invitation. And I love that. A couple of the things I want to key in on uh, in this passage, if you want to go back to 1 Timothy together, is uh, one of the things that it, uh, Paul says in verse 18, uh, he says that they're to do good and be rich in good works, generous and ready to share. You know, this idea is not limited to financial generosity. Of course, that is that is the main meat of this text, right? That's the that's what Paul is speaking to primarily. However, it's not limited to that reality. Paul is uh, reminding Timothy that all of us have the opportunity to be rich in good works, that we're ready to share whatever it is that we have. Uh, and we see this in Scripture in the ways that we love one another, whether, whether it's practicing hospitality, uh, whether it is uh, using our talents, wh- whatever it may be, that God invites us not only to be uh, you know, giving financially and, and, and fe- feeling like, okay, now that I've done that, the, the rest of the part is over, right? But it's an invitation for all of us to, to ask God, God, what have you given me? What resources have you given me? And how can I utilize those resources uh, to impact the kingdom of God? And finally, I'll tell you, you know, what really, really stands out to me about this passage uh, is what Paul kind of says in verse 19, ending this thought, uh, together. Let's read it together. Uh, Paul says there, there, verse 18, rich in good works, generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. You know, the invitation that, that, that people who have the more get to step into, and whether that's more uh, financial uh, resources, whether that is more time, whether that's more energy, whether that is more talent, whatever it is that God has given us the more with, we're reminded that that is an opportunity to live our lives with an eternal kingdom focus, recognizing that the life that we live here on earth will actually go forward into eternity. You know, one of the things Paul quotes uh, earlier up in the letter is that you know, uh, we came into this world with nothing and we can't take anything out of the world. And what he's talking about is actual possessions, right? Uh, You come into the world with no actual possessions. And when you leave this world, you can't take any actual possessions with you. And yet what Jesus calls us into is to live our lives in such a way that we actually store up our treasure in heaven where moth and rust can't corrode and can't destroy because where our treasure is, that's where our heart is. And what, what Paul is saying is, don't put your heart, don't put your treasure in the things of this life, the pursuing of the more. Instead, put your heart and put your treasure into eternity to recognize that this 40, 50, 60, 80, whatever it is, years that we live, 100 years on this earth, it's a vapor of smoke. It's a blink of an eye, but eternity is forever. And when we live our lives with eternity in view and we live our lives to impact the kingdom, when we live our lives to use our time and our talent and our treasure, our resources to make an impact on the kingdom around us and to make an impact on the world, that that, that is storing up treasure in heaven. And in that, we take hold of that which is truly life. Let's say that together. Truly life. 
truly life. The, the, the world that we live in is, is handing us this pseudo life, this fake life, this temporary life, this, this life that is fleeting and passing like sand through our, our, our hands, through our fingertips. And, and Jesus is saying, instead, live your life with an eternal focus. Don't store up your treasure here on earth, but instead do that in heaven. And Paul alludes to that idea that as we give our resources, as we give our time, as we give our energy, our effort, that we lay ourselves a good foundation for the future and we take hold of that, which is truly life. I'll tell you, I, I love being a part of Mosaic Church. Like you people inspire me all the time. I, I, I run in here sometimes on Saturday and I see you guys serving at Buddy Break and caring for children with special needs. It just blows me away. You know, I, I, I walk in here on a Sunday morning and I see people who, you know, when, when most people are, are using their Sundays to just kind of hang out and recharge and recoup and get ready for Monday, you guys are walking in here early to serve donuts and to serve coffee and uh, to hang out with the kids in our kids ministry. Like you guys inspire me all the time. The way that you guys invest in adoption and foster care and uh, safe families and wraparound care. It's, it's amazing. I got to, to enjoy a birthday uh, party yesterday. And at that birthday party, uh, it is a, a child that is a foster care child that two people who call Mosaic home have chosen to step into this child's life and has and this child's been with them basically since birth. And for the last year, this child has experienced a completely different life than she would have had those people not said yes to that call. I tell you, I love being a part of this church because we actually do take it seriously that our call and the invitation is to demonstrate our passion for God, right? And his passion for people. That, that the aim of our charge, Mosaic, really is love. And I love to see the ways that all of us play our part. And it is one body, and there are many parts, and not everybody can do everything, but we can all do something to play a role in the story. And I love to see the way it plays out here at Mosaic. And as we do, utilize the things that God has given us and invited us into, we together are going to store up treasure in heaven. We're not going to buy just a bunch of stuff. We're going to buy stories together. So that as Renaud talks about, you know, sitting around the fire in eternity, I want to be sitting with you guys and I want to hear the stories that I could have never fully heard uh, in this life because there's just too many of us. There's too much going on. But in heaven, I want to sit around and hear how God used this church at this time, in this community, in this location to impact the world forever so that people would come to know Jesus as their Savior, so that people would spend eternity with God instead of eternity separated from God because we took missions seriously. I want to be a part of that story, don't you? <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's so much better than whatever the world is dangling in front of us. Whatever is so temporary and so fleeting, we have an opportunity to make an impact on the world for eternity. Amen. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you for your goodness in our lives. We thank you for the invitation for those of us who have the more, whether it is financial, whether it's time, whether it's talent, whether it's energy, whatever it is that we may have. God, I thank you that you've invited us to utilize those opportunities 
to make an impact on the world around us, to make an impact locally and globally, to, to share the good news of who you are, Jesus, in, in our proclamation of the gospel and also in our demonstration of the gospel. God, we thank you that you have invited us into this eternal story and that we are not simply just recipients of your goodness in our lives, but we also get to be participants in bringing your goodness to others. God, help us catch a vision for the beauty of the gospel. Help us catch a vision for the things that, that are on your heart, that we would have compassion for those that you have compassion toward that we would be people who would seek for opportunities to live our lives for the kingdom, to live our lives for the gospel, to live our lives to do something that makes an eternal impact in this world. God, we recognize that we can't do it alone. We ask that your Holy Spirit would lead us and guide us and open our eyes and open our ears and show us ways that we can step in, show us ways that we can lay our wants, our needs, our desires down for the wants, needs, and desires of those around us so that the gospel could made, be made beautiful and made known to others. Help us, Jesus. Help us, because we live in a world that's constantly trying to distract us with the more. But we know that you are far better and far more than anything we could ask for in this life. Help us to live for eternity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.